Body of Wonder, a podcast exploring the healing capacity of the human body, is produced by the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of Arizona. The Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine is internationally recognized for leading the transformation of healthcare through innovative learning programs, evidence-based research, and integrative practices. To find out more, go to azcim.org slash podcast. Again, that's azcim.org slash podcast. Hi, Andy. Hi, Victoria. So today we have the pleasure of speaking with Donna Jackson Nakazawa, and you turned me on to her new book. It's called The Angel and the Assassin. I think it's the most interesting book I've read in the past year. It completely changed my views about the brain and the immune system and specialized cells in the brain called the microglia. And it made me very optimistic about new therapies, uh, non-invasive therapies that are becoming available for the treatment of depression, other mental disorders, and possibly even Alzheimer's disease. Fantastic. Let's get Don on the line. All right. Hello. We are delighted to have Donna Jackson Nakazawa as our guest today. Donna is an award-winning science journalist and author, and her interest in the immune system began after she was paralyzed temporarily, thank goodness, and later diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is an autoimmune disease. And this experience led her to study the world of neuroimmunology, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Her new book is just amazing. It's called The Angel and the Assassin, and it teaches us essentially about something that maybe you have never heard of, and that's microglia which are cells in the brain, uh, sometimes called the housekeeper cells of the brain, and how they could act as either friend or foe. We're going to be talking a lot about inflammation. Landy, if you could help our listeners understand the role of inflammation in the body. Uh, We all know inflammation on the surface of the body. It's local redness, heat, swelling, and pain at an area that's injured or under attack. While it may be uncomfortable, inflammation is actually the cornerstone of the body's healing response. It's the way the body gets more nourishment and more immune activity to an area that needs it. But inflammation is so powerful and it's so potentially destructive that it's very important that it stay where it's supposed to stay and end when it's supposed to end. Inflammation serves no purpose if it escapes its boundaries of time and space it becomes productive of disease. Uh, It's important that you produce enough inflammation because if you can't, you're vulnerable to infection, but not produce too much because if you do, you are likely to develop allergies or autoimmune conditions. And more recently, we have begun to see that chronic low-level imperceptible inflammation is the common root of many of the most serious diseases of aging. First of all, I commonly hear people refer to the autoimmune system of the body. You know, there is no such thing. Autoimmunity is a pathological condition in, in which the yeah. immune system attacks the body's own tissues. And that is a malfunction of immunity, and it can be set off by many triggers, by infection. There may be a genetic predisposition, 
by psychological trauma, either in the past or present. Uh, and it can be very destructive and painful. And depending on which tissues the immune system target, we have different disease entities, you know, ranging from things like rheumatoid arthritis to lupus to very rare ones. And I understand, Donna, you had an episode of Guillain-Barre syndrome earlier in your life, which got you interested in some of this. Yes, yes. In fact, was in grand rounds at Hopkins many times because I had it not once but twice. Yeah. So a lot of attacking of the self in my body. And that does spark your interest when you know, you're raising your small children from bed. You do start to look around and look at the world differently and find work like what you all are doing and start to rethink your approach how you want to live in this world. And again, I think when we think about the fact that we can be exposed to too many triggers, I think of it kind of like a barrel. You know, we have so many things that come into the barrel of our immune system and we're good. You know, we can handle a lot. Think of what we're handling just in these seconds, right? We're taking in different pathogens in our body, fighting them off. But when that barrel gets too full and that last little hit comes in, you know, the water spills over. And that image to me is, is profoundly hopeful, actually, because as you all have shown so much through your work over the years, there are many things we can take out so that we don't overwhelm the body and it doesn't begin to attack the self. And we can apply a lot of that same thinking to the idea that microglia also need to be in a state of homeostasis so that they don't get overwhelmed and start attacking the brain. I think what's really exciting is that this is actually leading the field of neuroscience in a very exciting and promising race to find, I think you guys will like this, more, less invasive <laughs> techniques to treating disorders of the mind, which have been the black box of medicine. Any psychiatrist who's being honest will tell me that their field is lagging 50 years behind other fields. So these are exciting times. It's a little scary. And also as a reporter and science journalist, you know, when I first reported on this and thought about it, I thought, oh, great, you know, I get one more thing, right? You know, my body's attacking itself. God knows what's happening in my brain. But it's really not scary in that it's the driver for a complete paradigm shift for the future of psychiatry. And that's huge. We need it. Uh, uh, we yeah. desperately need it. <laughs> Our center sponsored a national conference on integrative mental health. This was actually the second one that we've done. And the hunger for a new model to deal with uh, psychiatric disorders is just enormous. Uh, I think psychiatry of all specialties is most held back by the materialistic paradigm that says that all uh, mental disorders are the results of disordered brain biochemistry and that the only way of dealing with that is through medication. And those medications are sadly ineffective. Donna, in The Angel and the Assassin, you really focus on this common route uh, to many, many different neurological problems. Do you want to say how you got to that? Well, 
I have been reporting on the brain and the body for a long time. And about seven years ago, I started to see a big shift in the research, but not in the fields of medicine and psychiatry. And that shift was a pivot from an idea that had been held by scientists and clinicians for the longest time, which was that the brain is the only organ in the human body not ruled by the immune system. So all the things that Andy talked about, we think of that inflammatory process getting going. It's really ruled by our immune function. And all of medicine had held this idea that the brain was not ruled by the immune system. But that really began to change around 2012 when researchers at Harvard discovered something that the rest of the field had missed. And that comes down to that little cell you mentioned, microglia, the tiniest cell in the brain, turn out to have the same properties that immune cells have in the body. And as they began to research this, it turned out that much of the search that we've all been searching for that, how can we prove the mind-body connection, much of that comes down to this tiny little cell, microglia, which is not a boring housekeeper cell. (laughs) It's one of the most powerful cells in the human body. And just as the way we think of white blood cells governing our body's health, microglia are really the white blood cells of the brain, and they govern our brain for good or for ill from cradle to grave. So I began to follow this research, and really, I just wanted to tell the story of the birth and exploration and really the promise of this science. I think it's one of the most promising and powerful stories in the history of medicine. And it also often offers up a lot of new ways to start to think about repairing the brain that we could not previously have dreamt of before we understood the true role of these cells in the brain. Well, that's very exciting. And uh, I must say that, first of all, it was astounding to me to read about all this because it was so different from what I was taught in my medical education. Uh, as you say, that the brain was a privileged organ uh, exempt from, from the immune system function, that the microglia were structural cells that really had no important role. And it had always seemed to me, working with patients with autoimmune conditions, there was such an obvious correlation between psychological ups and downs and the exacerbations and remissions of disease. And I've always felt that autoimmune conditions are made to order for integrative medicine because the conventional management of them is not terrific. You know, it relies on medications that are toxic and may over long-term use actually reduce the, the chance of a remission. And there are not only many less toxic ways of modulating the inflammatory response, but also the mind-body connection is just there waiting to be taken advantage of. Absolutely. And I think what's so promising and fascinating about this research is that you know, when we think of our immune system, it's a very, it gives us a lot of agency, right? Like we can think, okay, what could be triggering my body's immune system to rev into overdrive? And we have to consider chronic stressors, childhood trauma, our diet, how we're moving our body, our environment, toxins, past histories of different pathogens or infections. Well, guess what? 
just as detecting that those things are off kilter in the body can cause our body's immune system to rev into overdrive and cause inflammation and disease. These are the same stressors that can trigger microglia to become overexcited. And when you talked about inflammation in the body being red, hot, painful, and swollen, it's a little different in the brain, which is another reason we missed it. The brain really can't get red, hot, painful, (laughs) and swollen except in a big injury, right? Because we have this thing called the skull (laughs) and that prevents that swelling that we might get if we hit our thumb with a hammer. But when these microglia cells are overexcited by a plethora of stressors in the environment, they're dancing all the time with our environment. They morph into these large Pac-Man-like cells and they begin eating synapses. Now, we also know that loss of synapses in key areas of the brain where we need to see robust neuroconnectivity, that those we can see on brain scans are also related to patterns that set the stage for common mental health disorders, depression, anxiety, mood disorders, bipolar, as well as neurological disorders like Alzheimer's. Body of Wonder is produced by the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine, internationally recognized for its innovative health and wellness programs, evidence-based research, and clinical standards. Join the transformation at azcim.org slash podcast. Again, that's azcim.org slash podcast. One of the things I thought was really exciting about your new book, Donna, is your focus on some of the new treatments. And I was thinking it would be interesting to talk about a few of them. So, uh, for example, you talk about QEEG or quantitative electroencephalogram biofeedback. And I'm wondering if you could uh, let our listeners know what that is and what it's especially good for. Sure. And I think it'll open up a conversation about a lot of different what I call brain hacking methods that are non-invasive that are coming to light. So QEG is just one way in which practitioners are able to now take really novel and advanced neuroengineering tools and see what's happening in the brain in real time. So if they're looking at this moving film of the brain, which they're able to take by connecting someone up to 19 different electrodes, which are just tiny little metal, flat metal things that they paste to the scalp of the brain. There's no, you know, no pain, no anything. They can then use the signals coming from the brain to take these live moving pictures of the brain. And if things are showing up red, it tends to mean that there is too much connectivity in that area of the brain. Other colors stand for a loss of connectivity. Green means you're good compared to tens of thousands of other healthy functioning brains. So using that is allowing researchers to do a couple of different things. More advanced forms of neurofeedback, which help a patient train the brain themselves by using computer models, games, feedback from the practitioner. It also is opening up the door to transcranial magnetic stimulation in real time. 
And that refers to a non-invasive process in which practitioners apply a very low magnetic pulse to the brain, which really makes sense when you think about the fact that the brain is actually an electrical organ. And guess what establishes that base direct current field from which all brain waves emerge, microglia. So when we affect the brain waves in the brain, we are actually also affecting the behavior of microglia. And in transcranial magnetic stimulation, practitioners are able to send a reboot pulse to the brain that helps microglia to back off and reboot and return to their really good job which is to be the angels and the good governors of the brain <laughs> and run around and make sure that neurons are happy and that synapses are connecting. So it's possible to intervene. And one of the last most exciting areas of brain hacking, I think, is coming out of the peak hour lab at MIT, where I spend a lot of time with the researcher, Li Wei Sai. She developed a little wand with LED lights that deliver a 40 hertz light pulse and used it in animal models that is now moving through human clinical trials. And she was able to do this and get microglia to stop attacking synapses. And instead, they start to clean up and clear the brain of tau protein, which we associate with Alzheimer's. So it's an exciting time, of course, and I would love your point of view on this. You know, we always want to caution patients to proceed with the help of a physician. We don't want people to run out and try everything. So I wonder how you would frame this coming sea change and how you would bring it together with wanting patients to um, move forward with good medical advice. Well, I think, first of all, letting people know that these therapies exist is most important. One question I have is that I see that there, the, some of these devices are offered online and patients are going out and just buying them and using them. And I wonder if you have any opinion on that. Well, you know, I don't like that. And I'll tell you why I don't like it. But you may feel differently. And so, you know, I really want to hear your point of view. 30 years, I've written six books hundreds of magazine articles and columns and op-eds. And I've seen that when we have a sea change, we come up with 20 things. You know, we certainly saw this in pharmacology, right? And we think they're all great. And many of them turn out later to have groups which possibly should be excluded. For instance, with TMS. One group we're not 100% sure of are patients with severe depression who might convert to bipolar. So if somebody is also showing signs of severe mood changes, we want to think carefully if they're going to have TMS, who are they going to see? Who's going to have the oversight and the fund of knowledge to treat the brain in a way that it can be treated to help that patient without doing harm? And so... I know that for me, my greatest gains as a patient from severe autoimmune issues have come working closely with an integrative physician. And so I would like your perspective on that. I don't like the idea 
of people reading the book and running out and buying something that they put on their brain that is stimulating it. What do you think? I, I share your concern about that. My, my preference would be that uh, people find a reputable practitioner who's trained in these methods and uh, experience it in that way. The only problem and the part of me that sympathizes with people who just want access is <laughs> yep. we know it can take 18 years in medicine from an innovation to be studied and seen to be a value until it actually becomes part of common practice. And you can imagine people who have uh, a diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment who want to do everything they can to not move into Alzheimer's. And you capture some of these folks in your book have treatment-resistant depression, and here's this other possible therapy that they really want to get access to. At the same time, it takes time sometimes to figure out, well, what's the right dose? I mean, we're doing this transcranial magnetic stimulation. I'm guessing that there's really a wide range of potential doses. And have we fully figured that out? Um, How much stimulation in what area for what person? Uh, The same for light. You know, what's the best wavelength? How much? How often? And until the basic science is done to answer some of those questions, I think there's some risk as people experiment on themselves without guidance. And the good news is that with PMS and neurofeedback, there are some really terrific, very well-educated practitioners out there who do know, okay, when I see this, it relates over my 10 years of practice and 20,000 patients, you know, to knowing this. And I've watched them. You know, I was a fly on the wall. I watched them work. And it was really an art and a science. But I also agree that we have to push Patients need to push their physicians and psychiatrists for these answers, for these options, because, you know, Thomas Kuhn, the scientific philosopher, said exactly what you said, Victoria, 20 years, two decades, from the lab to the clinic. And the clock is ticking. That is not okay. I know you all see patients who are suffering. I hear from patients who are suffering every day. So how to safely push this forward and also help patients choose things that they can do right now. One area I reported on in the book that, again, I caution you have to do with a practitioner is different types of intermittent fasting and fasting mimicking diets. They are rebooting microglia in the brain. So there are things that we can choose to do Again, a patient with autoimmune disease doesn't want to do intermittent fasting and experience syncope, right? So there is this kind of chiaroscuro between what we want patients to have, what we want them to safely be able to do on their own, and then dot, 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 the big $64 million question, how in the world can they find practitioners like you guys? That is one of the questions I get over and over from patients. Who can I go to? How can I afford it? You know, practices are full for really good people. It's expensive and people are drained by the psychiatric community, you know, by medication bills and therapy bills and autoimmune bills. So we're facing all these questions, which is good because it means we're in a moment of change. But it's also going to be something, a time through which patients will need skilled guidance. I have to mention 
that our community of graduates uh, is listed on our website, which is uh, azcim.org. And people can find one of our graduates. We've now trained people in all 50 states and in many countries around the world. But I also uh, wanted to point to a therapy that's absolutely free that we believe is quite safe and that Andy's been teaching for many years. Uh, This is a way to help tone your vagus nerve, which is going to also have an effect on the immune system. And at the end of this podcast, you can find a clip of Andy teaching the 478 breath and learn it and practice it yourself. Another therapy, I will say, that is also potentially free is uh, what Donna just mentioned, intermittent fasting. And this can be done in many, many different ways. It's increasingly studied. And uh, one of the ways people do it is that they eat for an eight-hour period each day, and they don't eat, therefore, for 16 hours each day. Andy, I believe you experimented with this a little bit. What did you find? I I found that very difficult for me. I got ravenously hungry. So I'm now experimenting with other schedules to see, (laughs) find one that works for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you have one you like at this point? I'm experimenting with the 5-2 program, Mm -hmm. which is eating normally five days of the week and Mm -hmm. then on two non-consecutive days, eating a greatly reduced calorie uh, intake. One of the exciting things about intermittent fasting is that it's not just, you know, fasting. I think sometimes people think about weight loss, they think about spiritual practice, but it also has a profound effect on the immune system and uh, metabolic systems. One of the interesting things about intermittent fasting, and I delve into this in the book, is that researchers at USC Center for Longevity, Walter Longo, they're also experimenting with fasting mimicking diets where they've developed ways to deliver to the body the essential nutrients needed so that we don't have as many of the side effects of fasting, the hunger, the fatigue. And so that's another really interesting way in which the field is going. People are also combining intermittent and fasting mimicking diets with cancer protocols. And it's just getting to be a very interesting field. And as you said, Victoria, if you are safely doing one of these fasting protocols, we shrink everything down in our body. And when we do that, it sends a message to our immune cells, both the white blood cells and macrophages in the body and white blood cells or microglia in the brain that they need to reboot. They've got to clean out the bad guys, get rid of them, and And we see kind of this rebirth, this neurogenesis in the brain and this birth of healthier immune cells in the body. So it's really promising and interesting research. One other thing is, Andy, you mentioned the vagus nerve and your breathing technique for that. Well, research is going on now connecting messages between the gut, right? No surprise. Mm -hmm. And the microbiome and microglia. They chat. There's a two-way conversation. (laughs) There's a brain-gut superhighway where immune dysfunction in the gut, gut dysbiosis, hundreds of different permutations we can see of that, and microglia in the brain are chit-chatting. And they chit-chat through the vagus nerve so that when you help to increase your vagal tone, you're actually helping microglia to get better, healthier messages, as well as figuring out dietary 
protocols that works for you to help clean out the gut. So it's just opening up all these different doors. Donna, I have a, a sort of offbeat question for you. I love those. Okay. There's some curiosities about the incidence of autoimmune diseases. They are much more common in women. They're more common in left-handed people. And there are geographical hotspots for them. One notably is Finland. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about what might explain, explain those. I do. And so to tick Finland off the list there. So of course, we see that exposure to sunlight is related in some ways to healthier immune function. There's been a lot of work on that, that people who live in darker climes tend to have more expression of autoimmunity. And in depression, we see that as well, which you know has brought out the advent of light boxes and light therapies to help ameliorate that. In terms of women having what I call the 3-1 rate, and in many diseases it's higher, but three times as many, a likelihood of autoimmune disease and also depression and anxiety. And now we're starting to see prevalence of female prevalence in Alzheimer's. So we also see a correlation, and it's actually something I'm working on in the next, next book, so it's really a great question, is the fact that when estrogen comes on board, for girls in puberty and adolescence, it stimulates the immune response in a way that makes environmental triggers, and there are many for girls and women, more likely to cause the immune system to make changes that alter the genes that oversee the stress response, right? So that estrogen is this really great thing. It makes it possible for us to do everything that a guy can do on like little less machinery. Our heart's smaller, our lungs are smaller, and we have to carry a baby to term. So different, you know, you guys know more about this than I do, but estrogen is one of the things that helps us be able to do more on less and also glutocorticoids. But what's happens when estrogen revs in and there is a lot of stress or other environmental agitators in a person's life and body is that that immune response can be so robust and the immune oversight that should keep the body from hurting itself or white blood cells from attacking self or microglia from attacking synapses aren't as able to do their job as they need to be. So we think that's why we're seeing what I call the three to one, three times the rate of autoimmunity in women, three times the rate of depression, anxiety, Alzheimer's. And I think it's an area that requires urgent research and attention. Donna, I have a very different kind of question. Uh, You've talked about so many of the things that we can do to be healthier in our lives. I'm wondering whether there's one guilty pleasure, one vice that you may have (laughs) that you struggle with and that you might want to share with our listeners. I think this is going to be my favorite interview ever. (laughs) (laughs) So I will say that the one guilty vice that I have, and I do lots of things, if you know, Anyone who's had Guillain-Barre or be paralyzed twice, I have a pacemaker and other autoimmune diseases. 
you learn pretty quick that you're the driver of your health. And if you want to feel good, any given day is going to have to involve a combination of exercise and walking and yoga, meditation and loving kindness, and maybe neurofeedback and maybe acupuncture, all of that. I incorporate all of it, not all of it in one day or I wouldn't have a job, right? (laughs) But because work has to be done. One guilty pleasure I have, and I always feel so bad about this, <laughs> is it's that around two o'clock in the afternoon, I got to have chocolate. And I know it's good for us. I know, I know it's good for us, but it keeps me up at night and it always has a little sugar in it. I'm not, my husband will have like that black chocolate with no sugar and he falls asleep very easily. But I would like to cut that out and I probably overdo the Earl Grey tea in the morning. So <laughs> there's just certain tastes that I love and they, they're probably not serving me and my cortisol system. So anyway, there you go. Well, I have to say, Donna, as someone who loves chocolate, you just need to, t- yes. you, you just need to eat it earlier in the morning. <laughs> We want you to know, sleep, but, but you know, <laughs> chocolate in the morning. <laughs> I know, like the French. I know. I just like I get my little craving right yes. around two o'clock. As soon as we hang up, I'm gonna have to have some chocolate. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for bringing um, your expertise uh, to our listeners. Thank you for writing The Autoimmune Epidemic and The Angel and the Assassin and, and your other four books. We are excited to have had you as a guest. Yes, thank you. I so appreciate this time and thank you for having me. And thank you guys for, you know, you've really sparked the sea change in how we see our bodies and our physical health and and integrative health and mental health. So none of my work would happen if people like you weren't paving the way. Thank you. Listeners, this is Dr. Victoria Mazes. We would love for you to send us your questions for Andy, myself, or for our guests. You can call us and leave a voicemail by dialing 520-621-3950. Again, 520-621-3950. Or you can submit a question by going to our website, azcim.org slash podcast. Again, azcim.org slash podcast. We will review your questions and try to answer as many as possible on our programs. For those of you who would like to learn the 478 breath, please find a quiet place where you can close your eyes and count along. Please do not try this while you're driving. And now, here is Dr. Andrew Weil teaching the 478 breath. Okay, so in this exercise, you're going to breathe in through your nose quietly, and you're going to blow air out forcefully through your mouth, like making a whoosh sound and pushing your lips out. I'm going to describe this to you, and then I'm going to demonstrate it for you, and then we'll do it together. So the exercise begins by letting all the air out through your mouth. You close your mouth, breathe in through your nose quietly to a count of four, hold your breath for a count of seven, and then blow air out through your mouth to a count of eight. 
and then you'll do that for a total of four breath cycles, and that's it. It takes all of about 30 seconds, so there's no excuse for not doing it. Uh, and this is a practice. It's not a one-time thing. This is something you, I'm going to tell you how to do it, but it's something you're going to want to practice. Okay, so watch me. I'm just going to, I'll demonstrate it for you, and then afterwards we'll do it together. So it looks like this. That's all. Uh, it's a little hard for me to come back and talk to you after I do that because this produces a very pleasant altered state of consciousness <laughs> that I would rather stay in. Uh, you may not get that the first time you do it, but it's one of the rewards of practicing this. Okay, so let's try this all together. And I'm going to count. For, what limits you is how long you can hold your breath. So you have to get enough air in on the four to last you for the seven. I'm going to count for you at a moderate rate that you should find comfortable. Okay, so let all the air out through your mouth. Close your mouth, in through your nose, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, out, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, close in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, out, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, close in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, out, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one more in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, out, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Good. Now just breathe normally and notice how you feel. Some of you may feel a little lightheaded after doing that. That's not the goal and that will disappear with practice. <laughs> Uh, some of you may have some sense of internal relaxation. That will become very profound as you practice this. You have to do this at least twice a day, religiously. I do it in the morning when I get up before I do some sitting meditation. I do it at night when I get into bed to fall asleep. It will become a wonderful way to help you fall asleep if you get up in the middle of the night for any reason. Get back in bed, do this, it'll help you go right to sleep. Um, you can do it more often throughout the day, but never more than four breaths at one time but you've got to do it a minimum of twice a day. After a month, if you're comfortable with it, increase to eight breath cycles, and that's the absolute maximum. So then the practice would be eight breath cycles twice a day. Again, you can do it more often. After four to six weeks, as you become familiar with this, start using it for things. If somebody cuts you off in traffic, uh, somebody says something to you that pushes your button, before you react, do this. It's a wonderful way to help deal with cravings for whatever, cigarette, piece of candy. Before you act on the craving, do the breathing exercise. By the time you get back, it'll be gone. 
But the really interesting changes happen after about four to six weeks of doing this regularly. You will see wonderful changes in your body. This slows heart rate, it lowers blood pressure, it improves digestion. I've seen people who've had cold hands all their life who now have warm hands just as a result of doing this. That's a sign of reducing uh, the fight or flight response in the body. Uh, I've seen people that have had uh, chronic digestive problems that have disappeared just as a result of doing this. I've seen people who've stopped atrial fibrillation from doing this breathing exercise. It is a fantastic thing. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Body of Wonder, brought to you by the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine. If you like the show, please rate us five stars, subscribe to our channel, and leave a review. To learn more about integrative healing and the center, go to azcim.org slash podcast. Again, that's azcim.org slash podcast.